When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here, and we are back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. And today we have Frank Cespedes, who has taught at Harvard, has run a business, and also is the author of several books. And the latest one is Sales Management That Works, How to Sell in a World That Never Stops Changing. And you're probably wondering, why would I include somebody on this show that has written a book on sales? Well, you're going to find out in just a moment, because it appears that a lot has to, uh, a lot works together when it comes to sales and service, and of course, the customer experience. Quick announcements before we get started. If you've got an amazing story or a question that you have and want to share it on my social media uh, platforms, please go to anywhere, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm everywhere. And if it is a question, use the hashtag AskShep. I'll either answer right there in whatever channel we're in on this show in my newsletter or on my TV show, Be Amazing or Go Home, which can be found on Amazon Prime, Roku, Apple TV, and you can even catch episodes at beamazing.tv. That's beamazing.tv. All right, let's jump right into it. Frank Cespedes, all the way from Boston. Is that correct? You've got it right here in Boston. Yeah, well, welcome to the show. Thank you, Shep. Thank you very much for hosting me. It is sincerely a pleasure to be on Amazing Business. Well, thank you. So, hey, are you a hockey fan? Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm more the baseball football type, but what, what is it you want to know? Okay, about well, good. Bruins? Well, you'll love me because the St. Louis Cardinals lost to the Boston Red Sox, uh, a few years back when we, when they broke the curse of yep. having never made it to the finals and, and then win the world series for, I don't know how many years, but my St. Louis blues did finally get their Stanley cup championship against, yes. uh, the Boston Bruins. So congratulations. Well, thanks. And congrats to the Red Sox too. All right. So let's jump right into this. You wrote this book, Sales Management That Works, which by the way, is available everywhere in the world, especially amazon.com. You wrote this book and yet you say that it ties directly into customer service. So let's start there and we'll see where we go. Yeah. I mean, first there's a, a generic perennial reason Uh, service in the vast majority of companies deals with the output of of selling efforts. And for reasons that I talk about in the book that I'm sure we'll talk about during this podcast, those selling efforts are changing. And one of the things that's changing is that sales and service are increasingly intertwined. Yes. Now, you know, why did I write the book? Basically, two motivations in writing this book. The first is fundamentally a professional motivation. Of all the different activities in business, sales is by far the most context specific. 
Now, once I point this out, you know, you'll probably go, duh, but trust me, many, many smart, well-educated executives forget this. Selling software is different than selling durables, different than selling professional services, et cetera. Selling in North America is different than selling in Latin America or Asia or Europe. So it's very context specific. And yet for some reason, it's that one area of business where people feel most comfortable making huge generalizations, typically unsupported by any data whatsoever, beyond what in academia we would call n equals one. When I sold for Oracle, this is what worked for me and I'm sure it'll work for you. When we invested in PayPal, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So, you know, as somebody who's done, I think, more than reasonable research in this area for 25 years, I wanted to write a book that says, look, this is what research does and doesn't tell you about this core activity in business. And the second motivation for writing the book is I think it's a particularly good time. There is no doubt, no doubt whatsoever, that online technologies, the data revolution that's affecting sales and service, and that will continue throughout our lifetimes, no doubt that it's affecting those functions. But again, most of what I read about those things just misunderstands the managerial implications and the realities of being a salesperson or someone in customer service. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. Um, So I've always believed the same thing. You have sales and service are very closely combined. As a matter of fact, early in my career, and I still do quite a bit of work with sales teams, and the topic is basically selling with service. What can we do to enhance the experience, the sales experience that makes people say, I like doing business with this company, the people who are selling to me, really not just the product that they're buying. Because if if it's just the product, well, then that's commodity, right? You know, And people can get a product from anywhere. But if we wrap the experience around it that makes people want to do business with us, well, that to me is, is part of customer service and experience. To me, service is not really a department as much as it is a philosophy on how to deliver an experience that customers I, I agree with to. that. Yep. In fact, I agree with that, Shep, if I can say so, more than 100%. Oh, good. I like that. Thank you. It's not only that the experience is wrapped around, the changes that are occurring in business development is getting more and more service people involved in the actual selling and business development itself. And the interactions are increasing. I'll give you two um, uh, uh, quick examples. The reality is that buyers in most industries and categories are now online and offline at multiple times during their so-called buying journeys. They touch the selling company in multiple ways, not just sales, that includes service among others. It's much more of a cross-functional interaction even before the sale is made. The second example is think about, you know, so-called SaaS companies, software as a service are a good example of this. But if you think about the subscription models uh, that are proliferating everywhere, service is fundamental to selling in those business models. The issue in models like that is customer retention, right? right? What, what marketers call 
customer lifetime value. And what we know, I mean, the research about this is as close to definitive as you're going to see. If you're going to hang on to a customer, you're probably going to lose that customer early on during onboarding or early on. That's where service is fundamental. And most of those sales models, I'm now going to use the sales jargon, are based on land and expand models. And the expand part, service is fundamental. In fact, in many businesses, the real ongoing account management, the expansion of revenue for that account, isn't done by the guy or gal who sold them the product or service in the first place. It is done by the post-sale service people, whether or not they're called service. Uh, so, you know, I, that's what I meant by agreeing with you more. Well, thank you. 100%. You know, it's like when somebody says, I closed the deal. Terrible yeah. use of language. No, you really, you may have finished that part of it, but you started the real relationship, which is now that you've made the sale, you need to prove why you got the sale and what uh, reason there would be to continue doing business with you when I continue to need whatever it is you, you sell. Um, you know, you mentioned something and I want to get into this. Uh, there's a, an expectation today by customers that seems to be different than what was before. Uh, I think customers are smarter than ever before. They know what a great experience is. Uh, they love the salespeople they work with, but if you let if, 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 if people don't want to be sold, they want to buy. And uh, moving beyond that, once they uh, have made the decision to buy, they want to make sure it was the right decision. So I believe everything that happens after the actual sale is nothing more than validation that this is the right company and a reason to get people to come back again and again. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, changing expectations that are happening in the world of sales and service? Yeah, and, and I think you put your finger on the, um, the real root cause of all of this. Uh, the most important thing about selling is and always has been the buyer, who buys why and how. And the reality, again, not in all, but in the vast majority of product categories, uh, what's the impact on sales of the proliferation of customer knowledge means? You know, you can get all the information about product, price, comparative price on your iPhone or on your laptop or whatever. Now, the implication for sales is that, and I'm going to be as blunt as possible about this, the days of the salesperson basically being an organic, walking, talking version of product and price information, those days are gone, right? Because the customer can get that with one or two clicks. So now they've got to add value. The bar is being raised in sales. Similarly with service, what that new technology, relatively new technology and its impact on buying means is that service is more involved, not only in validating the customer's experience, but as I said, in expanding the value of the customer, in cross-selling, in a whole variety of areas that as recently as a decade ago would not have involved service, but clearly would have involved the sales force. Yeah, I think the customer's expectations are higher than ever before, and they expect the experience to be right. And that includes the entire journey. Um, years right. ago, a friend of mine, Dr. Larry Baker, 
he, he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, the most abused customer is the sold customer. Meaning, you know, you've got this prospect, you're nurturing them, you're nurturing them. They finally say, okay, I'll buy. And everybody's excited. And then the sale is made. And it's like, uh, something changed after the sale was made. The yeah. company's not as responsive. The salesperson's hard to reach. What happened? Well, will, will you still will you still love me in the morning? I know. I love that. Will you still love me in the morning? All right. We're talking with Frank Cespedes, who is the author of Sales Management That Works, How to Sell in a World That Never Stops Changing. It's available uh, everywhere that books are sold, especially Amazon. It was released by the Harvard Business Review Press, and he is a professor. Professor at Harvard. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk more with Frank and his wisdom. Don't go away. Hi, Shep Hyken, your customer service and experience expert. And I'm excited to tell you about my new book, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. Now, this book is packed with idea after idea on how to, just as the title implies, get your customers to come back. In the book, you'll learn that repeat customers aren't always loyal customers. Now, both are great, but there's a big difference. You'll also learn about 10 reasons a customer may stop doing business with you and three reasons you would stop doing business with them. And one of my favorite lessons is a six-step process for creating an I'll-be-back strategy. Of course, there's much, much more. You'll start getting more of your customers to say, I'll be back almost immediately. Just go to www.I'llBeBackBook.com. Com. Again, that's www.I'llBeBackBook.com. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Frank Cespedes about his latest book, Sales Management That Works, which, by the way, uh, is this your sixth or seventh book? Uh, number, I believe it's number six. Number six. Wow. Prolific author on top of uh, being an entrepreneur. You said you owned your own business before. Well, I ran a business. I ran started a business. it with some others and uh, we got lucky, Shep. I can spin this a different way when needed, but we sold it exactly the right time. What kind of business was it? Uh, professional services. Um, we had uh, software, so-called learning management software, uh, but um, I think if I showed you the software, you'd say, wow, people paid you for that. Uh, the software was really an excuse for the services that uh, we provided where we really made our money. Wow, that's fascinating. I was involved with the learning management uh, system uh, platform that was on fire until it wasn't. Yes. Uh, and and, and uh, all the money I invested in it, I think about a year and a half, two years ago, I received an, uh, an email from the, I guess, the owner slash CEO who said, it's time for us to shut the doors, send me the agreement the whatever so that I can get you all the tax documents you need to show the loss. So I go, oh, gosh. <laughs> all right. But that's another story for another day. You know, one of the things we talked about at the break was hiring and training and getting good people. If there was ever a time that uh, I can remember in the last probably 20, 30 years where employment was an issue, and, and it's really, it's not about getting a job. It's a company's finding good people to fill good jobs. What are your thoughts there? You probably see a lot in what you do that can uh, help us out here. Well, I mean, first of all, I, you know, I agree with you, every company, uh, you know, it's supply and demand. That's just how it works. I do think that will 
iron out. In fact, like a lot of people, my worry uh, isn't that uh, a year, two years from now, we still have uh, the, all these hiring problems. My worry is we go back to the 1970s and so-called stagflation. But let me, you know, let me um, uh, uh, also hope that I'm, my worries are unfounded. Now about hiring and hiring in particular in sales and service, whether or not that supply and demand issue clears up, it's important to notice that there have always been and will be challenges in hiring in service and especially in sales that simply don't exist to the same extent in other business functions. I'll give you an example. If you want to hire an engineer, you can go to a school and it's a little bit like walking into a food court. What are you interested in? Electrical engineering, chemical engineering, etc. If you need to hire someone in finance or accounting, you can find people who majored in those subjects. The same is true, by the way, for uh, computer programmers, all right? But the last time I looked, which was about three and a half years ago when I started uh, writing this book, of the nearly 4,000 colleges and universities in this great country, less than 300 even offered a sales course, let alone a sales program. And I don't have the number at the tip of my finger, but I'll bet even fewer than those offered anything in service. True. Right? True. So these are areas in business where the vast majority of people start knowing almost nothing about what they're going to get paid for at that company. That's why, among other things, training and development is so <clears throat> important in those areas. And it's got to be ongoing training and development because in any business, value is created or destroyed in interactions with customers. And again, those interactions change. The market has no responsibility to be kind to any company or any company strategy. It's the responsibility of the company, meaning mainly its sales and service people, to adapt to customers. Right, right. And at the end of the day, the customers get to determine whether or not you've adapted. Uh, it's their impression and their perception of your company that counts, not the one you want them to have. You can only hope that you guys are in alignment with each other, you know, the company and, and the customers. So uh, like the idea, you hire the right people, you get them on board and, you, you know, there's all kinds of assessments and ways to determine whether you're getting the right person. And then you train. And to your point, you constantly train. Training isn't something you did. It's something you do. It's ongoing. And the result is people feel the education is taking them on a, a forward or upward trajectory in their careers, and they're growing with their company. And ultimately, they, they will prove themselves out. Um, great ideas, great ideas. So in the book, you also talk about this gap between the C-suite and customer-facing groups like sales and service. So um, why, I mean, there's this gap, and I don't understand why, because gosh, I remember my very first book I wrote, which was back in the 1980s, I talked about how one of our companies, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, one of our famous St. Louis companies is Anheuser-Busch. Oh, Gotta yeah. love Budweiser, right? And they required executives to get into a beer truck at least once a quarter and drive around with the route salesperson or go out and make a sales call to keep them connected with what's really happening. So let's talk about this gap between leadership, the C-suite, 
whomever, and what's really happening on the front line with the people that we're hiring to manage that. Yeah, and I think the causes of the gap uh, are pretty clear. I mean, um, I'm going to cite uh, some data. It's not my research. It's research from a, a colleague of mine. Her name was uh, Julie Wolf. But Julie looked at, again, to use the current jargon, the C-suite, right? CEO, CMO, the senior mm -hmm. executives, uh, and how that's changed over the last 25 years in the global 1,000, 1,000 biggest firms in the world. And the reality is the number of people reporting to the CEO in those firms on average has doubled twice as many. But then if you ask yourself, who are these people? What were they doing before they became senior executives? The reality is that actually very few of them were general managers in the sense in which we use that phrase at Harvard Business School. By, by a GM, we typically mean uh, someone who's running a line of business or at least had profit and loss responsibility. Most of those people were specialists, the CIO, the CFO, the head of data, regulatory uh, issues, and so forth. Now, why is that? It's not because companies wake up in the morning and say, oh boy, let's add overhead. The business world is more complex. It is a data revolution. It takes more to be specialized. But the reality, and this is the reality, fewer people than ever before have made it to the C-suite with prior prolonged experience in customer contact functions like sales or service. And that's a big deal because one of the core primary responsibilities of senior executives in any firm is to develop and help execute a market relevant strategy. And it's, as you know, it's really tough, if not impossible, if you're not in touch with what's really going on in customer interactions pre, during, and post sale. Yeah, so really what you're saying is there's really two reasons. I think that, well, the one reason you're sharing is that I think people are being hired from other places, other companies to come in and run a company rather than being promoted from the ranks as they move up. Now, there's some companies that are known for that, but many of them are taking people from the outside. The second thing, which I think I was alluding to earlier, is that um, I think that executives are too busy. They're not making the time to go and spend time learning about what's happening and the reality of what their people are experiencing as well as what their customers might be saying. Yeah, no, I think that's right. But uh, the good news here, and it's, yeah, it's always in business, it's a bit of an arms race. The good news is that there are more and more tools, digital tools, other things that can help you put in touch with this. But at the end of the day, uh, I get back to your Anheuser-Busch example, because I agree with that. At the end of the day, uh, there is no substitute for that direct experience of customer contact. And I agree with you. That's a calendar issue. You've got to make time for that. It doesn't yep. happen naturally. Now, one of my favorite examples I wrote about in my recent book, I'll Be Back, uh, not about the Terminator. It's about customers coming back. Uh, but there is an example of a gentleman named William who worked for Microsoft, who spent time on the front line and talked to customers. And 
people would call back and ask, could they please speak to William? And it turned out to be William Gates, who was just taking time from the office up in the sky to come down and hear what was really happening on the front lines and the customers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my version of uh, a similar story when I started at Harvard Business School, you know, one of our one of the things uh, this school requires you to do, and I, I'm very grateful to them for this, is you got to write case studies, right? That's how you learn. But um, um, a, a senior professor who's long gone by this time gave me a great piece of advice. He said, Frank, when you write a case, before you meet with the senior executives, first travel with some of the salespeople or go to the center where services, then meet with the senior executives. And he was right. I would then meet with the senior executives and I'd say, you know, it seems to me the issues in your firm are ABC. And they would say, oh, what a genius. I can see why he teaches at Harvard. And the reality is, no, I was doing something they hadn't done for years. Just simply hanging out with the people on the front line. Love it. All right. We are just about out of time. I always wrap up with a final question. I call it the one thing question, but let's take that one thing or one idea from your book, Sales Management That Works. What is your favorite example or lesson that you want to leave our people with that would make them say, gosh, I've got to go out and get this book today? Well, I mean, I guess I would continue with what we've been talking about uh, in the last uh, few minutes. Um, there's a, a novelist you may know, John le Carre. Remember, he yes. used to write the spy novels. In one of his novels, uh, one of his characters says something that I think should be tattooed on a prominent body part of every executive. And the quote is, a desk is a dangerous place from which to watch the world. And again, that's what Bush understood when it said you will get beyond the truck. That's what William Gates understood when he spends whatever, however many days there. And this, I think, is a particularly timely time in business to remind people about this basic fact, because there are many, many executives who really believe they can manage the business from a spreadsheet. We now say big data, right? Look, if you think you can run a business without good data, good luck. I think that's like trying to fly around the Alps without radar, but it's not a substitute for getting out there. A desk is a dangerous place from which to watch the world. Brilliant, brilliant words. Dr. Frank, thank you for being on our show today. Shep, thank you very much. My pleasure, truly. All right, everybody. Again, the book is Sales Management That Works. I'm glad you're all here. Please come back next week. We'll have another interview. I promise it will be amazing. And until that time, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.